thanks for tuning in to this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We're a church that exists to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to make others great. We hope you encounter Jesus today while you listen to this message. Have an amazing day. All right, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Something to take notes with this morning. Oh man, open up to Romans chapter 12. I don't mean to be the weird guy, but you ever get kind of like dizzy when God's doing stuff? I don't know. Man. Everybody enjoy Witness Conference last weekend? Raise your hand if you were part of any of it. Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. It was amazing. God was doing awesome things last weekend. We, we did Witness Conference. It was a, kind of an out-of-the-blue thing that I felt like God led, led me to have us do. And uh, I was just like, Lord, I don't, we, I don't do, we don't do conferences. I don't even know how to do that, but let's do something. And the prayer going into the weekend was just simply, God, would you do something this weekend that leaves us as a church different on Monday than we are on Friday? And I don't know how to quantify that for us as a church or for even each one of us individually, but it happened. And I've just been hearing amazing stories all weekend of just things God was doing in people's lives, individuals, and us as a church. It just feels different around here. And uh, I don't know how all that works, but I think it's true. So just leave that there. Amen. We've got three weeks left in our series. The gloves are off. Anybody having a good time with the gloves are off? We've got three weeks left, and this is my, actually my last week preaching as a part of this series. So this is like my, my final stretch, my fourth quarter. I'm just, my goal is just leave it all out on the field, preach till I pass out this morning. That's the goal. So uh, I'm excited. And next week, we've got Jimmy Seibert with us, the, uh, yeah, the, the founder and leader of the Antioch Movement. He's going to be with us next weekend. We are going to be doing a, uh, just a fun conversation Saturday night here, uh, just the same type of format we did with JT. Uh, we're going to just be hearing from Jimmy, you know, where, where do we come from as a movement? What's God doing around the world? You're going to hear crazy stories, so if you can make it, you don't want to miss it. I don't know what time it's at, but I know we're announcing it at the end of the service, so just throwing it in for free right now. Uh, so that's next weekend, uh, and then Karis is going to finish us out in a couple of weeks. Got a, got a word on her heart for us, so that's good. So this morning, I want to preach a message to you. You got notes? You got Bibles? The gloves are off my standard. The gloves are off my standard. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I hope I told you that already, gave you a little bit of a head start. The first 11 chapters of Romans is uh, by, really by all measures the deepest, most dense, most profound, most complete layout of the gospel of Jesus, really in, in all of literature that we have. As far as one piece of literature goes, the book of Romans, there is nothing like it on the planet. Written by a man named Paul who was really smart and he was a lawyer and he knew the Old Testament, he knew the law, he knew the scriptures and he just does this deep unpacking of how Jesus is the promised one. It's absolutely powerful. And so that is what Romans chapters one through 11 is all about and we are skipping all of that this morning. And starting in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You've got you to gotta understand that, the, that when Paul wrote Romans, there weren't the chapter headings. There weren't the numbers and the verses. It was one cohesive thought. Um, I'm thankful that we've added that in along the way to help us have some reference points. You know what I'm saying? Like if I just said, hey, go to Romans and find the part where it says, I appeal. <laughs> That'd be a bummer. Romans 12, 1 is way easier, right? 
So I'm thankful for that, but let's just keep that in context in mind. We're not just picking up the start of a sentence. We're towards the end of of an incredible piece of writing here, telling us who Jesus is, who what he's all about. And now he turns to his audience and he says this in Romans chapter 12, verse one. I appeal to you. I appeal to you. You got to think about the lawyer, Paul, talking. "I, I appeal to you. I'm coming to you with a case. I'm presenting something to you. I, I, I encourage you. I exhort you. I, I appeal to you. I beg you. I call to you. I appeal to you. Therefore, therefore, in, in light of chapters 1 through 11, in light of everything that I've laid out for you, in light of the width and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God, by the mercies of God, not by your own effort, not by trying really hard, but by way of God making his gracious heart manifest in the man, Jesus Christ, by the mercies of God to present, to give, to make available, Offer willingly your bodies, your life. Not just talking your physical bodies, saying offer your bodies, your, your, your whole self, your mind, your body, your soul, your emotions, your, your time, your talent, your treasure. Present your bodies holy and acceptable to God. Because that's who you are now. Holy. That's what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. You are holy. You are set apart for God. You are are acceptable now to God. God isn't asking you to become something that you aren't. God is teaching you how to be who you really are. Holy and acceptable to God, which is. Present your bodies holy and acceptable to God, which is. Referring to your choice, empowered by God's mercy to present your whole self as a wholly acceptable living sacrifice to God. And this is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. That word that, he, that we translate into our English word spiritual I, is actually kind of a, a bad translation from the original Greek that this was written in. The Greek word there isn't really a spiritual word. It's the Greek word. I don't know how to say it right, but I'm going to say it the way I'm going to say it. Logikos, where we get our word logic. Logical. The, the word that would seem to make the most sense. I'm no scholar, so there's probably a good reason for it. But it would, it would be sensible to say this, this is your logical worship. It's actually the most rational response that you could possibly have to everything that I've unpacked. This is your act of logical worship, your your act of most reasonable response. In other words, all things considered, in light of everything I've said, this is your obvious rational worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your rational worship. Whew. I love the Bible. 
don't know if you knew this, but this weekend is all-star weekend for the NBA. Any NBA fans in the house? Anybody upset about the dunk contest last night? Okay, not a lot of NBA fans, but okay, FYI, all-star weekend for the NBA. <laughs> There's a dunk contest last night and whatever, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is it's all-star weekend, okay? So th- this is where I'm going to need my toy here. I brought a toy out to play with this morning. So I've been watching some highlights of, of all-star weekend, of the dunk contest, of some of the guys who are all-stars in the NBA. And um, what, something I've been noticing, focus here, you'll see it, you'll see it, don't worry, focus here. Something... So, Keep your eyes on me. Here we go. Something I've been noticing as I've been watching some highlights of some of these NBA players is I keep hearing about how much money they're making. And I've been watching some of their highlights and hearing about how much money they're making. And we're going to, yep, yep. Oh, look at them go. Perfect. See, we didn't, we didn't have time to practice this, so we're good. I've been hearing about how much money they're making and I've been watching some of the things that they're doing. And uh, I've decided that I'm in the wrong profession. And so this morning is not just the last weekend of me preaching in this series, but I'm actually done after this. We're going to be done preaching. We're going to shut down the church. And I've decided that I'm going to just, we're going to keep the building. I'm going to clean all the chairs out of here when you guys leave today. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to every day bring in my son, Smith. He's three. And I'm going to start making some mixtapes of me going to town on him. Because there is, there is nothing that I've been seeing these guys doing that I can't do on this six and a half foot goal on my three-year-old son. I mean, it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Cash money. You know, like, they, they're all driving. Everyone's like, oh, finish with the left. Oh, that's tough. It's like, what the heck? You know, everybody's going crazy about Zion Williamson. Anybody heard of Zion? This new rookie freak. And they're like, look at him go. He just slams. It's so hard. He like bent the rim the other night. And I'm like, whoa, Zanaco to the rack, 360. Boom. Yeah, actually, come here. Ladies and gentlemen, give him a round of applause. Come over here. Come over here. See, and don't even get me started on my lockdown defense. I want you to take a shot. No, 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 like on your knees, like Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah! Don't bring that weak stuff! Are you not entertained? I mean, I hear Jordan Brand calling me right now. Now, if that's not the stupidest thing you've heard all week, you really need to check who you're hanging out with. Okay, so why is that the dumbest thing that hopefully you've heard all week, all month, if not all this year in 2020, and hopefully remains to be the dumbest thing you hear for this decade? Why why is it that these all-stars are making millions of dollars for doing what I just did, and nobody gives a rip that I just did that or if I did that over my three-year-old son? (laughs) Why why is it? The the reason that, that what I just talked about was so dumb and that all these guys are getting paid, and that it matters that they do it, and not when I do it, is because there's a standard, right? There is a standard. The NBA has set a standard for what it means to be excellent in basketball. 10-foot goal, regulation size ball, 23 feet, 9-inch three-point line. Like, I don't just get to say, Curry for three. <laughs> right? You have to play against other grown men. 
There is a standard that has been set, and you must excel within that standard if you want to be considered an excellent basketball player. Am I right? Okay, so the definition of a standard is this. It's real easy. Actually, I think I even had them put it up there. We'll see. The definition of a standard is this. Write this down. Something set up and established by an authority. Something set up and established by an authority. Is this bugging you guys over there? We can have them move that if you want. <laughs> I'm done. You got to do whatever you want. Sam's in charge around here, so you do whatever. <laughs> a standard is something set up by an authority. Now, I want you to write two things down that make a standard a standard. And I know you just wrote down the definition, but we're going to rehash this real quick. Number one, a standard is set. A standard is set. Somebody say set. A standard is set. It is what it is. The standard is the standard. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean you get to change it, right? Just because I don't like the fact that somebody else can go, has to go play on that basketball hoop to get paid $40 million a year, and I would rather be paid $40 million a year for doing what I just did, just because I don't like the standard doesn't mean I get to change the standard, right? If I don't like the standards of basketball, guess what? I got to go play a different game. A standard is set. Number two, a standard is not subjective, a standard is set and a standard is not subjective. It is set by an authority. It is set by an authority. You don't, you don't get a say in it if you're not the head honcho, right? If you're not the head honcho, it's not up to you. It is set and it is not subjective. Now, this isn't going to be very popular to talk about, but nonetheless, I would submit that this conversation we're about to have the rest of our time together is essential for us. Do you know that when it comes to knowing God and what it means to follow him, that there is a standard? There is a standard. Do you know that there is a standard of what it means and what it takes and what it looks like to follow Jesus? It has been set. The standard has been set. It is what it is. And if you don't like it, it doesn't mean you get to change it. Do you know that there's a standard of what it means and what it takes to follow Jesus and it is not subjective? I'm not the head honcho, so I don't get a say in it. You're not the head honcho, so you don't get a say in it. There is a standard that has been set. There is a standard that is not subjective. And I want you to know this morning that if we want to live God's stories, we have to live by God's standard. If we want to live God's story, we have to live by the standard of God's word. God has set a standard. He has set a standard for us in our lives. He has set a standard for us of what it means to know him, who he is, what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to be a follower of him, what it looks like for us to interact with the world around us. It is a set, non-subjective standard in his word. But it has become popular I know I've done it. I'm just going to say it on the front end. It's become popular. It's often really easy. And sometimes it seems really, really desirable to ignore the fact that God has set a standard for what it means to know him and follow him and set up my own standard for what it means to know him and follow him. Come on, let's just do it by a show of hands. <laughs> Now, as you've probably heard your doctor say a couple of times in your life, this is going to burn a little bit. 
But when we set our own standards, where it leads us is patting ourselves on the back for the equivalent of being Christians dunking on six-foot goals. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I got to sleep with him to keep him, but he said he'd go to church with me. Yeah, I binge garbage on Netflix and Spotify all day, but I listened to a worship song on my way to work the other day. Yeah, I look at porn sometimes, but I would never cheat on anybody. I might not be all that gracious and kind per se to people who disagree with me, but I'm for sure on God's side of the issue. I might not really obey God, quote unquote, all that much, but, but I know he really wants me to be happy. You want to live according to the standard of God's word. Because it is best for you to live according to the standard of God's word. It is what you really want. It is what is really best for you. So I would suggest to us and challenge us and invite us this morning to the fact that it is time to surrender some of our six-foot standards. Some of our six-foot standards. The six-foot standard of self. God loves me. And that means this is all about me. Make others great. Amen. You really should make me great. Well, I just don't I just don't feel like a loving God would really. The six foot standard is simple. If it's simple, I'll believe it. But if I don't understand it, I don't know, we'll see about this. God is good when it all looks good to me, because then it's simple. If I wake up without my alarm after eight hours of uninterrupted sleep and feel great and perfectly refreshed, then I know God wants me to spend time with him in the morning. The six-foot standard of satisfaction. As long as I like what God says to do, I'll do it. As long as people do what I want them to do, I will serve them joyfully. As long as the Bible says what I feel like it should say, I will for sure follow it. As long as God really wants to make me happy, I'll obey him. The six-foot standard of not sinning. How far is too far? I mean, I don't want to be legalistic. You don't, you don't get it. We love each other. No one's perfect. At least I didn't. Yeah, but did you see what he... The six-foot standard of salvation. Well, I'm forgiven. I get to go to heaven when I die. Now, how far can I live from heaven now but still get there when I die? How much can I hold back from God now but still expect him to give me all of him in the end? Six foot standards. The standard that God has laid out for us to live in, to live in what we are called to is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is the standard that God has set out for us in his word. All right. Everybody put a smile on real quick. Stick with me. I know I've just offended everybody, including myself. <laughs> I'm even mad at me, so it's okay. We're on the same page. But this is why we got to listen to the whole message, okay? Stick with me here. 
Can I tell you why this isn't some intense, legalistic, blah, 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 typical Christians, Bible bashing stuff? Can I tell you why this isn't that? Listen very carefully. Are you ready? I don't know if you're ready. You ready? It works. It works. It really works. Like, I'm serious. It works. Okay, let's try it this way, okay? If you come up to me after church and you say, I've been hearing about this place called Costco. Everybody tells me it's amazing. I really want to go there. And I I would tell you, oh, you don't even know. (laughs) If you said, okay, I hear there's one around here. Can you tell me how to get there? What I would say is absolutely. Hop in your car after church, after church. You're gonna take a right out of the parking lot, left at the first light, follow a road, you'll hit the front door. It'd be a little weird if you looked at me and was like, whoa, bro. Whoa, you have to like tell me what to do, man. It's like pretty legalistic, you know? Like, <laughs> it's kind of judgmental that you would tell me that like if I turn left and go get on 465, I'm not gonna get, a, get to Costco. Like, wow, Ooh, typical preacher, wow. Look at this guy. I mean, Costco loves me wherever I am. I'm not sure what I would say to that. I'm sure Costco does love you wherever you are. All I'm saying is that if you want to experience the glory that is Costco. You need to go to Costco and it's a right out of the parking lot and a left at the light. I don't know what else to tell you. Do you see what I'm saying here? Like living as a sacrifice is not, has nothing to do with legalism because it's actually just the clearest instructions to get everything that we want. It's the clearest instructions that God could possibly give us so that we could live the life that he died and rose again for us to have. That's why it's not legalistic. And let's be really honest. We might be able to consider sacrifice legalism if our six foot standards actually got us anywhere. But they don't even work. So are we even really sacrificing? Like, oh. You know, like, really though, if the cheap stuff was act, that we actually chase after could actually give us the things that we were going for and God just wanted to make us jump through some extra hoops and make it hurt a little bit because he's God and that's how he made it, that would be a little weird. But it doesn't work. The cheap stuff doesn't work. So, so what are we even really, really talking about? I mean, is, is, is taking a right out of the parking lot and turning the left at the first light so that you can get to Costco really a sacrifice? <laughs> Would you say, wow, Andrew, that really is gonna take a lot for me to get there. I just don't know if I can do that. If you wanna experience the depths of God, if you want to taste his glory, if you want to know him, if you want to be part of what he's doing in the earth while you are here, give your life as a holy, acceptable sacrifice to him. Focus your energy, your efforts, your abilities on knowing him and loving him and loving the people around you instead of just doing what you want to do. Let God define your perspective on money and the resources. Treat money and resources the way he says to treat them because he knows what he's talking about because of it all comes from him anyways. Take some of the time that you are giving to other things and give it to him. I'm not trying to make you jump through hoops. I'm just saying that's how it works. That's just how it works. That's the invitation. Now, if it works, 
What keeps you back? If sacrifice works so well, what, why do we hate that word so much? I would like to suggest to you this morning that the reason that we hold back from living our lives in sacrifice to God is not really shame or guilt necessarily. It's not like a lack of motivation and you really need me to get you rod up today because you want to sacrifice. It's not that you don't really know what to do. I would submit to us this morning that deep down the real thing, the actual thing, the deepest part that keeps you from giving yourself as a living sacrifice is that you're scared. You're scared. You're scared. If I really give God everything, like really, if I really trust him completely, if I, if I really do the thing that I know God is leading me to do, see, most of the time, you don't need me to stand up here and tell, me, tell you what to do. Mostly we know, we know a lot of times, but if I really do the thing that he's leading me to do, is he really gonna be there? If I really do my part, is he really going to do his? If I really find my life by laying it down, will I really find it if I lay it down? If I, if I really take up this cross and follow him, is there really resurrection at the end of it? I'm scared. I'm scared. When you get scared of the sacrifice of chapter 12, I want to encourage you with something. Number one, me too. Touch your neighbor and tell them, me too. We're in this together. <laughs> We're in this together. So when you get scared of the sacrifice in chapter 12, I want to encourage you to not forget the story of chapters 1 through 11. Don't forget the story. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He did, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Not, thy, not by we cry, oh, just welcome me in a little bit. The, the spirit of adoption, by which we cry, Abba, Father. There is no height, no depth, nor angel, nor demon, nor principality, nor power, nor high, nor low, that could ever separate you from the love of God. The same spirit, that raised Jesus from the grave has been given to you. And by the mercy of God, you are holy. You are acceptable. It's done. It's free. It's yours now. In light of all that, I appeal to you this morning. I appeal to you this morning. What other response could possibly be rational but to offer your whole life as an act of worship? Yeah. What, 
what else could be the standard? What else could be the standard that I try to live up to than the standard that he has started me at? Can we talk about holy and acceptable for just a second? There's other big scary words that we talk about in church and it's like, ah, gotta be holy and acceptable. Like, ah. That's why it's legalistic, because I can't even do that. No, 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 you got it, you got it, you got to remember. You got to look at what goes before and what goes after the living sacrifice part. By the mercies of God, holy and acceptable, offer your life as a living sacrifice. See, here's the thing about God. If you read the Old Testament, all about the sacrifices. Sacrifice isn't a Romans 12 concept. Sacrifice is a concept all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to when man first sinned, all the way back, not when God told man to sacrifice, but when God made the first sacrifice to cover the sins of man. Sacrifice has been a part of of atoning for our sins this whole time, but let me talk about sacrifice for a second. See, you could only sacrifice things that were dedicated to sacrifice. You, you didn't get to choose which of your sheep you sacrificed. God said, you give your first and you give your best. That's the one that you give. And the reason that I'm gonna have you give the first and the best is because that animal's not actually holy, but I'm just gonna decide it's holy so that you have a way. So I'm gonna set a standard for what's holy, first and best. It's not actually holy, but I'm making it holy. Come on. So when it came time to sacrifice, you didn't just pick something. You just didn't just like hope you gave something that God would accept. You didn't just have to hope for the best. You didn't just have to guess and hope God liked it. You knew exactly what to give because God set a standard and God put the thing that you were going to give at the standard by himself. It's not holy and acceptable. You can't make it holy and acceptable. I'm going to decide it's holy and acceptable. Now you have something holy and acceptable to give. So give it. God decides what's dedicated. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. When you give your life to Jesus, you are born again. The old passes away. The new has come. The holiness that you can never live, he gives. The acceptance that you can never reach, he gives. The Bible says that Jesus took on our sins so that we could become his righteousness. We are adopted as children of God, co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus gives you his righteousness. Romans 12.1 does not tell you to go out and get holy and acceptable so that you can offer your life as a sacrifice to God because you owe it to him. Romans 12.1 says, in light of this amazing news, in light of God taking care of everything and welcoming you into his family to set you free from the bonds of sin that kept you chained to death, that you could not get out of on your own, but he rescued you by the blood of his son Jesus. He's given you new life by his resurrection and to boot he filled you with the same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave so that you can be a child of God like Jesus is. That's how he sees you. That's how he knows you. It is not by your effort, but by the mercies of God. You are holy. You are acceptable. You dedicated your life to Jesus. You have become dedicated for him. A holy, acceptable sacrifice. That is who you are. You don't do anything else with the lamb dedicated for sacrifice, but give it. So what are you doing with you? What are you doing with you?
The invitation is there. The way has been made. I know that you're scared, but don't forget the story. Don't forget the story. I want to invite you to stand as we close this morning. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up like we, they do. Every- we want to thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can check us out on social media at Antioch Indy or go to our website, www.antiochindy.com. Oh, <laughs>